Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, the most trusted name in certified organic clean food. When you shop online at EdenFoods.com, enter the coupon code ORGVIEW to receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases. For other promotional offers, please visit TheOrganicView.com's website. And don't forget to check out our contest section. One of the most commonly suggested ways for people to help pollinators has been to provide more food for them. However, this may not be as effective as it ought to be. On today's show, Tom and I are going to discuss a few efforts and also explore whether or not this is truly effective. So I'd like to welcome to the show my co-host, Colorado beekeeper, Mr. Tom Theobald. Hello, Tom. Hello, June, from uh, warm and sunny Colorado. Very warm and very sunny. Now that the 4th of July has passed, the humidity will set in pretty soon. So it'll be interesting to see how things evolve this summer, especially as there are so many efforts being made to help provide good food for our pollinators. And this includes not only the bees, but birds and other pollinators. So the topic is really very, very timely, especially since there have been a number of initiatives out there, which I think are really tremendous. But once again, will they be truly effective? Well, the underlying question is uh, the environment in which these flowers are going to be planted. And there are some serious concerns as to the level that they may or may not have been poisoned by some of the suspect pesticides. And that's a cause for great concern and is largely being overlooked. As a master gardener and even as a master composter, One of the things that we focus on when we're working with the public as far as education is to remind people about the soil health. And it's kind of common knowledge that if you want to have a garden, you really need to have good soil. But the problem is is that people tend to assume that if something will grow on it, the soil must be healthy. So Analyzing the soil is something that we recommend people do in the spring as well as in the fall. But when it comes to the pesticides, it's a whole different ballgame. Tom, can you take a moment and just refresh our listeners exactly what the concern is with some of the systemic pesticides as far as how it impacts the soil health? Well, the family of pesticides that has gotten the most attention is the family called neonicotinoids. These are amped up nicotine compounds, and they're very, very toxic. They're five to 10,000 times more toxic than DDT was. And they have become the most widely used pesticides in the world, in the United States included. They have long half-lives, they accumulate with successive uses, and the evidence we have found is that there's no safe dose. All you have to do is add the element of time, and the reason for that is that the effect on the synapses, these are neurotoxins, the effect on the synapses is cumulative and irreversible, and I use the comparison of cigarettes. 
One cigarette didn't kill a person, but repeated exposures could. And we're seeing a similar situation with these neonicotinoids. Now, there's a growing recognition of the problem and a growing effort on the part of many people to try to help. And one of the efforts is to plant flowers of various kinds, whether they're wildflowers or or crops or whatever, they're, they're trying to improve the habitat. And that certainly is well-intentioned and could be very beneficial unless those soils that these are being planted on have been poisoned with the neonicotinoids, in which case what we had planned to be habitat improvement in, in fact becomes a killing field. And no attention is being paid to what the levels of the poisoning may or may not be. And that's a, a great concern to those of us who have been following these issues. Last year, there was an announcement in which there was going to be a pollinator highway, which was to be built along the I-35 corridor, which extended from Mexico to Minnesota, and basically follows a main route for the annual monarch butterfly migration. Once again, it is great that they want to provide food, but the bottom line is, is that if the soil health conditions are not good, it's going to basically provide plants that are going to be toxic for these pollinators. And I think the same is true when you have these massive plantings. I think it was about three years ago where they had these plant bombs. And basically what they consisted of was like a pod, a biodegradable pod that had all these seeds. And they would drop them out of helicopters and small planes in order to have plants, pollinator-friendly plants grow to feed the pollinators. So this is not a new concept. Well, the highway system seems like a, an, a good opportunity to do some of this habitat improvement, but you have to consider, again, what's happened to the soils that surround the, those interstate highway systems. Um, on either side, in many parts of the country, you'll have farm fields where these neonicotinoid pesticides are used as seed treatments. They migrate with the groundwater. 90% of the seed treatment doesn't even go into the plant. It goes into the soil and the groundwater. So on either side, you may have cropland contributing these neonicotinoids, but the highway departments themselves may be poisoning this land. Recently, there's been a move toward using beet juice as a de-icer. And beet juice, as I understand it, is the end result of beet processing. It's sort of the the stuff that they have no further use for. All the sugar has been taken out, but apparently the refining process concentrates the neonicotinoids. And this beet juice can have neonicotinoids, as I recall, as high as 800 parts per billion. Now, a less than a part per billion is sufficient to cause damage to honeybees. So, Do you know if these are GMO beets? Well, that's the concern, yes. Beets are, two or three years ago, beets were approved to be seed treated with neonicotinoids. So 
the neonicotinoids have entered the sugar beet portion of, of sugar production, and that's the primary production here in the United States, certainly in the West, sugar beets. And that's refined, it's boiled, it's distilled, you know, it's filtered. And the end result is some dark, heavy sludge called beet juice, beet syrup, that has no further value, but they found that it will reduce the melting point of ice down to 20 below. So from that standpoint, it seems to be an effective de-icer, and it's being used on the road systems. To what degree, I'm not sure, but it can contribute the poisoning to, to the poisoning of the roadways. And if you're going to use those as a monarch highway, what is it that you're accomplishing? If you plant pollinator-attractive plants in an, in an environment like that. We have a recent study from the UK that showed that 97% of the neonicotinoids that were contaminating the bee populations over there came not from the crops themselves, which in the UK was primarily canola, but rather from the wildflowers which were in the vicinity of those crops. So we need to take a much closer look at just what planting all these wildflowers to improve the habitat may actually mean. We need to look much closer. Well, I know that the Bayer Bee Care Program has engaged with the Wildlife Society, which I think is a tremendous partnership because I think they can do a lot of things. However, once again, this is basically what they're proposing, to plant these wildflower seeds. But the question that I have is, what can they do to help restore the health of that soil? And that's a good question, and we have no answer, because it could take years for the soil to purge itself naturally of these products. The, the longest half-life we found was in Saskatchewan and heavy clay soils. Clothianidin, one of the neonicotinoids, the half-life was 19 years. Now, if you extrapolate that, what it means is that it would take the soil a little over a century before that pesticide had disappeared? That's a very good question, and we have yet to have the answers. How do we rehabilitate those soils if, in fact, they have been poisoned? We don't well, have I, that answer. I do want to also comment that one of the best ways to restore the health of the soil is to plant native species. There was an effort made recently, actually by me, Tom, by PSEG Long Island, which is a utility company. They did something pretty smart as well as productive. In the town of Huntington, in Carpenter Park, some of the folks from PSEG planted native plants, which, as I said, is not only beneficial to pollinators, but it's also great for restoring the health of the soil. Apparently, Carpenter Park is a farm that was purchased by the town and is now being restored into a green space for recreational and educational use. Folks, we will have a few pictures courtesy of PSCG in the companion article that will be available on theorganicview.com. So I think that that is such a tremendous effort. And I think if people want to do something that will 
benefit the pollinators, they should focus on the soil health. I agree. We need to figure out how we determine the health of that soil. Soil testing is something that needs to take place, but we also have to have proper labs that can analyze different components of the soil. There's so many different elements to consider, and not every lab tests for things equally. So that's something that perhaps maybe the scientific community can be helpful with. Well, the protocols of the collection process are very uh restrictive as well. It has to be done very carefully because it's easy to lose what you're looking for. So it's not, it's far more complicated than a homeowner bagging up a little garden soil and sending it off to a lab to be analyzed. There are very uh, precise steps that need to be followed in order to find whether the soils contain the neonicotinoids or not. Water is perhaps a better way to find it because it is water-soluble and it migrates readily with the groundwater. And the bees and, and all other uh, pollinating insects use water, so water is a source of poisoning. And uh, that's an easier way to find out whether it's present or not. The USDA and the EPA have... A, appear to be very carefully avoiding any of these kinds of assessments, but they have been done. The U.S. Geological Survey has sort of led the way in that regard, some of the municipalities, and everywhere we've looked, we have found these neonicotinoids. Well, I'd like to add something to that. I do know that there are people in office who are taking this very seriously and are going above and beyond. And I would like to specifically address the efforts of New Jersey State Senator Raymond Lesniak, who is a very big champion for the environment. And quite often he takes some of these issues and addresses them on a personal level with his own law firm, as he's done with some of the environmental issues in New Jersey. And subsequently, he is running for governor. So it'll be interesting to see what he does as governor, providing he wins the election, which I think he's got a good chance. But besides the point, we also have in New York, Senator Brad Hoyleman, who is also very concerned about different environmental issues and is also incorporating them into his own agenda as far as what he's going to do to help with these problems. So I know that at least in New York and New Jersey, we do have two very strong officials that are taking these matters seriously. I don't know about on the West Coast, but no, we still have yet to see a lot, especially from some of the representatives that we've featured on the show. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Well, uh, Washington and Oregon have shown a little leadership. Um, Maryland recently passed some legislation which would restrict the neonicotinoids. Um, but most of the states are still within the grip of industrialized agriculture and the chemical industry, unfortunately. Well, Tom, we'll see how things play out. It is an election year, and I know that the environmental issues are a very big concern to many people. So people need to really speak up and let their elected officials know, hey, you know, this is something that concerns us, and especially young people. They're very open about these issues, and they do speak up. 
So I, I think I think we'll see change coming. Yes, I uh, mentioned in an earlier program that I had gone to the Colorado Pollinator Summit. It would be two weeks ago today. And one of the things that I was impressed by was the number of fresh, new, young faces that were among the attendees. And uh, they're beginning to recognize what's going on and beginning to take part, and I think that's healthy. I think it's a great sign. Well, Tom, thank you so much for joining me today, and we will continue the discussion next week. Well, thank you, June, too, for providing a venue, and I'd like to thank the listeners who've been tuning in to hear what we have to say and to listen to the people that we've interviewed over the past several years. June and I have been collaborating on this now for six years, maybe seven I'm not sure. The time just flies by, but uh, we need to step up the, the pace at which we're progressing because the bees and many other pollinators are in deep trouble. Folks, if you have any questions, please feel free to write to us at questions at theorganicview.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon.